The Ringer Gambling Show is here to help you place your bets on the biggest sports around the world. Join NFL analyst Warren Sharp on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. Each week, they'll cover everything from spreads, game totals, and parlays to player props, futures, post-game reactions, and more. Check out The Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Folks, basketball is so very good, and it is a beautiful, chilly day in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here to talk about basketball with one of my favorite people to talk about basketball with the Texas Titan, the main man himself, Jonathan Sharks. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. We had uh, Valentine's Day last night. You doing anything fun for that? Well, Meg and I have a yearly tradition of uh, making a pizza from scratch. I always document this on Twitter. Uh, we'll pick like a like a different like style. Like we've done an Indian pizza, we've done Korean, we did barbecue, we've done. This year, we're going to try to do Greek. We figured tonight we'd have more time, so we're going to try to do that tonight. I was out at uh, Whole Foods trying to get Greek ingredients last night, so th- th- it'll be interesting. Could be a disaster. Uh, that's good because you were texting me about Marvin Bagley last night. I, got, I was like, I guess kind of about doing Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know how it is. It's like your day just kind of gets chopped up into, uh, you know, it's 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 like that thing uh, in in high school where they make you like simulate a career, you know, where you're going through and they someone just comes and takes your little like I don't know if you guys did this. They come take your like laminated money and then at the end of it, you're like, I don't have any money. This is what and they're like. That's what being an adult is. I'm like that with my time more so now. I feel like throughout the day, I'm just like the dog, the chore, the something, the something. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I have an hour to do something. So last night we thought our allotment of time. That's why I was. That's why I was uh, watching Bagley late last night. So it's the life of an NBA person, uh, somebody that covers basketball. It's you have your priorities firmly in order. I think is clear. It's What's unorthodox, here? but it's the life. What you know? It's it's what we it's what we love. Uh, you sent me something funny. I was gonna say up top here. Sharks found an email from me from 2018. Uh, interestingly enough, was about Bagley. Well. The history is I was cleaning out my inbox. And so then I just, I'm like going through all the old emails. Well, I had in like five years and I said, I should probably do this. And then I get to 2018. My first email ever from James Kyle Mann is he's trying to like send me his blog up how Bagley's awesome. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. Keep up the good work. (laughs) (laughs) With more on that in a minute. Yeah, it was. We're coming up on the four year anniversary of that. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild to think of. That was that was just when I was back uh, hanging around. Just some dude who'd been fired from his job just watching basketball. Aren't we, all, aren't we all though, really? <laughs> For sure. So this has been um, a, a shakeup. It's a shakeup time. We discussed on Bill's pod about how this is a time of the year where people get excited about um, things are happening. You know, if your team's bad, it's it's a dis- distraction to think about how you could maybe be better. Um, as far as like young players, if, for people who haven't listened to us before, by the way, my name's Jake Man. But if if you haven't listened before, we're a young player, the youth movement. That's what we're focused on on this show. And this time of year, you don't really like to punt on young players, typically, right? I mean, if, if unless 
we did see some examples of like players getting moved and it's sort of a if you don't get the vote of confidence from your team at this point if you're like in the first two or three years of your career if you're a first round pick pretty brutal thing to have happen to you right for sure and i a lot of times what'll happen is is once the the front office changes right if, if you get drafted by the old front office the new front office not necessarily as invested in your success and that's a huge part of it which we'll talk about today is just how much it's the front office believing in you and giving in you chances and so i think what we're going to talk about is kind of obviously the trade deadline was last thursday and the ringer's probably done, I'd say, like 50 pods on James Harden and Ben Simmons. So <laughs> we don't want to get into that. And the nice thing for us is, as the young players pod, is there are a couple interesting younger players who've either been impacted by those trades or who kind of motivated those trades, which we'll get into today. I think starting with your boy, Marvin Bagley. Is he still your boy? Can I say that? Yes, today. <laughs> Charks always teases me about this. Today, we're going to mainly be talking about Marvin Bagley, and then we're going to talk about Anthony Simons later in the show. Um, you're talking about like changeover and leadership or something. I had, I had a quick story about like getting laid off from a job one time. We had a leadership change, and I had like done the quick math of like this leader valued this, this leader didn't value this, and the guy that was taking over didn't value like creative and like copywriting and stuff. And I leaned one of my, we got the news that the person was leaving. I leaned over to one of my friends in design and I was like I was like this is bad this is not good for me I was like this dude doesn't care about creative at all and she was like you're fine don't worry about it it's not a big deal I'm not kidding you Charks five minutes later HR came and the dude laid us off <laughs> so you not had only- like the guy who's like bring your playbook to the office basically yeah man I went and saw the Turk yeah I, it was like I, uh, I, not only was I right, I was right like to the, to the second, but I was going to say a couple guys that you were high on talking about leadership changes, Robert Woodard and Jemias Ramsey got quietly waved at the deadline by the Kings. What'd you think about that? Or did you even see that? It was kind of buried. No, I I did not see that. It's a new, it's a new day though. I guess they were drafted by the new, the new front office, but second round picks, that's the life sometimes. Yep. Go in, you go out. And Jalen, really quick, just running through, Jalen Smith got the vote of like ultra no confidence again from Phoenix. They didn't renew him. They shipped him to Indiana for Torrey Craig and then to kill Alexander Walker. But let's talk about Marvin Bagley. Where, what was your feeling on Marvin Bagley coming out? Um, for anybody that didn't know, he was part of a four team trade that, uh, the Pistons ultimately got rid of like Trey Lyles, uh, who's coming up. I forget what his contract situation is at this point, but a couple second rounders. That's what they gave up for Marvin Bagley, a reclamation project. I think I, I obviously I learned a lot of lessons from because Bagley was this overlap between me following basketball in my free time to my full time. And I learned a lot of lessons on that. What? Why were you in a different place than me? Like, what was what was your feeling on Marvin Bagley coming out of Duke? Uh, my thought with Bagley, I mean, I think it's been kind of talked about a lot now, but it was just this, this basic problem when I look at big men and I'm trying to slot them in a role in the NBA. And then for Bagley, it was, well, he's not a perimeter player. He's not really that skilled. He can't really shoot. He has a decent enough handle for a big guy, but he's not a like break you down off the dribble four man. Like he's just not that player. And then you say, well, if he's not that, well, is he a center? Can he protect the rim? No. And I think you go back to his time at Duke. Well, like there's games like that stick with you with players sometimes. And I think that's the value of watching a player over the course of his college season. So with Bagley and Wendell Carter, there is this famous game. And I'll go even deeper. It was against Boston College. And this is the game I believe that got Jerome Robinson drafted in the lottery from Boston (laughs) College. So Jerome Robinson just is running pick and rolls against Bagley and Carter all day, absolutely destroying them in space. And after the game, Coach K is like, forget this. We're doing a 2-3 zone the rest of the year. (laughs) Like, And Coach K is like famously a man-to-man coach. So for Coach K to say, my big men are so bad at defense, I must play on 2-3 zone, forget it. Massive red flag. And then you combine that with the lack of a perimeter game. I just didn't really see a role for him in the NBA. And I think that's kind of played out. I think what what allured me was this this was a guy that I like tracked a lot earlier in high school. And I just I loved his motor. I still to this day think that he's like a fluid athlete for his size. 
at about six foot eleven. He's not. It doesn't have like a crazy wingspan or anything. Um, he gets a lot of just easy implied offense. Is kind of the thing that drew me to him. I thought that you could plug him into an offense and he could like screen and roll and finish. I thought that he could become like a short, you know, mid range shooter. I thought the face up stuff was there. He has not been a good shooter. Another thing though that I think that that we should talk about here is, uh, well, before we go on to that, I mean, the Duke thing is interesting. You and I were joking about teasing teasing Duke. I have a bit on Twitter where I talk about being unfair to Duke because someone accused me of that one time, like a big baby. Um, <laughs> they knew who they are. No, I mean, Duke, Duke bigs over time, uh, Bagley, Wendell Carter Jr., I wouldn't say Wendell's a failure, but he hasn't, you know, hasn't like blown our hair back. Uh, Marquise Bolden, I think that was a guy who was like misevaluated, probably just kind of seen as a prospect when he probably wasn't. Uh, Jalil Okafor and then Harry Giles, no fault of his own. I don't know that there's necessarily a commonality. I know we're kind of joking there. It's more just about uh, the way the game has changed. What do you think about Duke Biggs in general? Is there any kind of talking takeaway point with that? I don't love the way Coach K uses his bigs more often than not. I feel like, especially like the Plumleys, it always kind of felt like, go set a screen and get a rebound, you big man. Get out of the way of my guards. That's kind of always felt his mentality about bigs on some level. And I think a couple points about like, what you're talking about with Bagley is true. And I still think he'll stick in the league because he is very athletic. He is very big. He can finish around the rim, kind of make those three-foot, five-foot plays. But there's two things. One, when you're a big man, so I'm someone like I'm not super tall compared to NBA players, but I'm 6'4", so I played big man positions growing up. And it's like, yes, those are the big man offense easy points, but you got to earn those points by playing good defense. So it's like a big man who lives on easy points on offense, but don't protect the same plays on defense is always very questionable. And I think too with Bagley, the other thing I think, was a red flag looking back on it is passing. Because if you're a big man who can't play on the perimeter and you're not going to be a center, you got to play in tight spaces. You've got to be a really good passer. And that's a skill that Evan Mobley has that has really allowed that Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Twin Towers combination. It's the fact that Evan Mobley can make those shovel passes, those quick passes in the lane, the bounce pass. He's just really smart player. He can play from the high post and fling the ball around the court. And if you're a big who doesn't shoot, you've got to have that passing gene a little bit too. Yeah, I think the the plus minus balance thing is sort of like a forgiveness bu- buffer, like what you were talking about. Jared Allen is a funny one to bring up because it's like he gets you those easy baskets. But if he was just like um, you know, a screen door on the other end, he protects the rim. So he gives you something. And also it, it gives you buffer like we've talked about a lot in the past that you know, if you can provide that defensive stability out there and you're and you're not, it, it gives you leeway to sort of develop other things. It keeps you on the floor. Bagley, do you just start taking away, talking about like taking things away from you over time? It's just like, well, we keep lowering and our our options for what he can be as a player. I think the passing thing is interesting because I don't know the way he moves. I think it's I've heard a lot of people talk lately about like aesthetic bias. Like I think and that could be at play whenever I'm watching a player like Bagley. I'm like, man, he moves so well, like he's going to succeed. The easy offense is there. I think he's a really talented player on the offensive glass. That's probably his biggest skill. I thought the shooting was going to be there. One of the big things, too, I think is fit. You know, Sacramento. Uh, as his dad has made abundantly clear, they were never really pleased. Team Bagley, <laughs> yeah, they he were was ne- out there. <laughs> they were, they were never really pleased with the fit there. Um, and we've seen that. I, I think had he been a better passer, he probably would have synergized better with with De'Aaron Fox. Maybe the way that Sabonis will, you know, it, he'll give some of those intangible things that would have paired. So I just want to. I was curious. So you're talking about Bagley moving into a new fit to a new team in Detroit. What do you what do you see in Detroit with him and like Cade Cunningham? Do you think that can work? What's his role on this new team, do you think, potentially? I think that Cade is a more sharing-minded guard than De'Aaron Fox. I think he's more of a malleable piece. He will, you know, feed into what Bagley wants to do better, I think. An interesting thing is going to I think it's a worthy reclamation project for D- Detroit. If you think about what they gave up, you know, Lyles was okay, but he wasn't blowing anybody's mind with Detroit and that pairing. 
I think that it's a decent it's a decent thing here because we have seen some as as much as we want to say like it's over for Bagley and I wrote in our trade deadline wrap up thing that the ceiling has kind of lowered for him. Another thing too is injuries. You know, he hasn't been on the floor a, a ton and it's like he's he the most he played was his rookie year. He played 62 games. I I do think that he's a better fit with Cade in terms of their skill sets feeding into one another. I think what I would love to see and I think we'll say this about a lot of guys, is if Detroit could get Chet in the lottery. Because that would be the piece that would make Bagley all of a sudden really interesting. It's like the classic, if you can have a big who can space and protect, it creates so many avenues for you to build your team. If you paired Bagley with Chet and Cade, those two guys pass so well, and they can both kind of play on the perimeter a bit. Now Bagley's really unlocked. And I think that to me is a really exciting part about this is like if Bagley can be your fourth, fifth best player, then maybe you kind of got some free money. Yeah. If you can put him out there with people like you're talking about, I just imagine sort of like a triangle of that's a square, but a triangle of uh, of offense that works. And you're talking about passing like I could see the ball flowing between Chet and Cade. You see him protect him on the other end. And then you have Bagley sort of hovering between the seams of the offense, finishing easy, you know, cleaning up misses. I think the problem is just he has been so, I know he was so ISO dominant. He he was that way at Duke. He was that way at Sacramento. I feel positive about it. it, It's a wait and a see kind of a thing. Um, Overall, I mean, do you feel optimistic, or where do you where do you see Bagley going from here? Is he destined to just kind of are we in a in, are we in a journeyman freefall basically now with Bagley? What do you think? Maybe, and I think that's it's almost unfair to people sometimes put the journeyman tag on guys, but that's fine. Like the goal should be to last ten years in the league, and I think Bagley can do that. And I think sometimes you just need a fresh start. It's hard to change your role where you started. Sometimes you need a fresh start, especially for a younger guy. You need a fresh start, need a new role for a team. And I could see Bagley being a good, not that he's exactly this kind of player, but a guy like Brandon Wright, where Brandon Wright didn't really stick. The old UNC big man. Then he kind of bounced around the league. He finds his way to Rick Carlisle. And Rick Carlisle turns into this like awesome off the bench, rim running five, pretty much broke all the efficiency records. And he had a really strong career. And that's totally fine. And, you know, it's like when you're a player like Bagley or any of these guys drafted super high, you are who you are. And whether or not you were misevaluated doesn't really say that much about you. That's more about the guys who are drafting you. And, you know, the guys who drafted Bagley are gone now. And that's the game. Right? You, you miss you miss on a pick like that, you're probably going to get fired. Yeah, and I think the Sacramento thing is a, a strong piece. At, at this point, I'm sure that Sacramento probably just wanted to move on. They were just like, this we can't, This guy's not working for us. We're, it's a new day. We're ready to move on. And, and also, um, I, I think that if you factor in the injuries, if you factor in the flashes that we've seen, if you factor in the fact that Sacramento has been a mess recently, um, I, th- I think that this was a, a worthy play because this could turn into... Um, a thing where he where he finds a new a new synergy with the place uh, with with the Pistons. So uh, I'm I'm still not ready to come out and say like I held on for a long time. I would say that with Bagley, I've kind of like held on to hope. My famous kind of miss was I had I'll, in my defense I hadn't seen Luca play yet, but I thought that Bagley was going to end up being the best player in the draft. I hadn't been doing this very long, so <laughs> that that was. Well, we my- all make mistakes. There's no. You just got to take the L and move on. Learn something from it. For sure, for sure. Uh, so, yes, before uh, we move on to talk about Anthony Simons, another guy, both of these guys, 2018 draft, sort of a different situation. Uh, we are going to take a break. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So yeah, before we move into the meat of the show, Charks, uh, we we talked about how you know young players are often like whether or not they're the one that's moved. A lot of the time, young players are sort of adjacent to the moves that were made. Um, was there anybody else that jumped out as somebody who was impacted by a move that was made in your eyes? Yeah, the guy. This was one that's been a little under the radar, and this trade I think actually was a pretty big trade. But there was so much going on on deadline day. It was Derek White going to the Celtics. And I think that was a great move for the Celtics. But for the Spurs, I've been waiting for Derek White to get traded basically all season because Devin Vassell, so he was their first round pick last year, I believe number 11. And he just really took a big step between his rookie and sophomore year. And it was pretty clear that number one, this guy is an absolute player. And number two, He's a much better fit with DeJounte Murray, who made his first All-Star game this season. And so it was only a matter of time because Devin, Derek White's more of a combo guard, playmaker, mm-hmm. likes the ball in his hands. He's now in Boston where he can be a sixth man, which I think was always his destiny. And now they put Devin Vassell into Derek White's spot. And he's looked really good in his first three games as a starter. So Devin Vassell, 6'5", two guard, very athletic, long arms, really good shooter. He's pretty much the prototype three and D wing, but he has some like offensive juice. Kind of what we talked about last week, how like it's not three and D anymore. You need some juice too off the dribble. And Vassell has that. Vassell is big. Like it's not the most like textbook shot, but the shot at this point you can believe in. He can get his own shot. He can dribble into spots. He can finish around the rim. He's a really good defender. And now the Spurs have this interesting backcourt Murray and Vassell. So I, they, I watched again, they played against the Pelicans and it was like, man, when you have two big guards, the Pelicans were starting uh, CJ McCollum and Devontae Graham. He's like two six one guys. And the Spurs have these two six five killers, two-way killers going against them. And it was just all downhill for the Pel- Spurs all night with that size matchup. And I kind of really enjoyed this new Spurs backcourt. I think they still need a frontcourt player but their backcourt of Murray and Vassell looks like pretty legit. Yeah, Vassell, Florida State product. As, as that's that's what Sharks picks a Florida State guy to love every year. That's one of his things. But yeah, Vassell totally like positionally clever, very savvy player. Um, uh, honestly, he was uh, probably the most mature like perimeter defender in that draft. I would say just off the top of my head. Yeah, thirty almost a thirty five percent shooter from three. He was starting to give you some of that dribble pull-up action, things like that. But yeah, Vassell, a lot of people probably, the thing about the Spurs is they're just not, you don't see him as much. I feel like a lot of people probably don't even know who Vassell is. He's a guy that, you know, maybe in his, if he stays with San Antonio, people are going to see him more down the road because I think he's a winning player. I didn't get to ask you about really quickly here, uh, Mavs got rid of KP. Were you feeling good? Did you moonwalk around the room? What happened there? How'd you feel about that trade? (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) That says it all. It had to happen. Um, I think the Mavs, I I don't know what they got back in that trade. Uh, We'll see about the return, but the trade had to happen. It was... You mean Didwitty and Breton's like what they'll be, right? Yeah, how they'll fit into Dallas. I have have some faith in Jason Kidd. He's done a good job this year of finding roles for guys and kind of maximizing what's on hand. 
But what it ultimately comes down to with KP is that he didn't want to be here anymore. You could never count him to stay healthy. And the team was pretty good without him. There's just not many places you could trade him to given his health situation. So I think a lot of the commentary on the Mavs I've seen as well, they could have waited till the summer. It's like, they really couldn't because what if KP got hurt again? And then you have nothing. Maybe he'll, yeah. maybe he'll stay healthy in DC. I don't know. I wish him all the best. Like, I think he wanted a bigger role in the offense, and I get it. You, you come to Dallas, you kind of got to buy into the Lucas system. And ultimately, he just didn't do that. And so it was time for him to go. And no hard feelings from our end, really, but it was just time. It was pretty funny in our in our NBA Slack to watch the Wizards people go from we got rid of Dinwiddie and Bertans. They were like excited, and then they were like for Porzingis. It was like what? <laughs> Just the reactions were hilarious. And dude, whenever they traded for Porzingis the first time, I made a I mean I've told you this before, but I made a joke that I was like, okay, flash forward, you know, three or four years from now, and he becomes like a seven foot three incapable Ryan Anderson. I was like, is that going to happen? Uh, okay, I'll tell you a funny story about that, actually. Ryan Anderson I, would have been amazing because he could shoot, but go ahead. I'll just put it out there. I think it's fine now. So um, one of my, I was, I had to go to a procedure last year with all my medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of my nurses is telling me the story how he was doing a procedure with the Knicks front office person around the Porzingis trade a couple of years ago. And my nurse, he was a big basketball guy. And he's telling the next guy, he's like, why would y'all just give away KP? He's so talented. Like, what does that make sense? And he tells me the next guy just goes, you'll see. (laughs) 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 So this is like third hand. I probably shouldn't even repeat this story, but it's too funny. It's too good to check. Oh my God. I want... One more question before we move on. I know this is just purely for my uh, basketball satisfaction. The uh, 2015, I I think maybe Rob said something about this. Rob Mahoney said something about this on on Bill's pod. When we were looking at like, you know, like 19-year-old Porzingis versus 19-year-old Carl Towns, how even do you think that race was at that point? Like like saying we didn't know. We didn't know what their trajectories were going to be, their health, things like that. I think just to give an idea of like how far off the track we've gone, we talked about Bagley. Uh, we're going to talk more about Bagley going off the track. We, you know, um, how how far off the track do you think we fell? Like, what was his potential, and what have we lost? Do you think that's a good question? Now I'm having to like go back 2015. That's a long time ago. Now I was a really big cat guy. Like I think I was probably too high on cat for as good as cat is. I thought he'd be even better in the NBA. I didn't think Porzingis was very close. I had that year, I had Porzingis and Miles Turner really close because mm-hmm. I didn't think either one had a great feel for the game, really. They're more complimentary. I was like, both these guys need to get fed shots. They're not guys you can run the offense through. They don't have, they're not great passers. That was they're pretty, kind of right. So that was yeah. my thought. But I, I thought Cat was like going to be all worlds, point center, first team all NBA franchise player. He's a good player. But he's I, pretty I just, damn good, man. I mean, he's I'd like put Kat arguably in a whole different the category than Porzingis and Turner. He's arguably the best center shooter ever. I mean, if you're not counting Dirk as like a five at any point, I mean, I kind of think of Dirk as a four. But I mean, Cat's pretty good. I thought Cat would be the MVP, <laughs> so I can't say that I was like totally right on that or anything. What if? What if we could? I always think about if we could do like personality surgery. Like, what if we put like? I'm trying to think. What, All what right, I'm we, gonna I'm gonna stop this right here. That's very what, disrespectful. <laughs> personality what, surgery. What if we put let's, Joel let's Embiid's? Nah, well, Joel Embiid's better than Carl anyway. Well, let's uh, let's I'm, stop paying God. Let's stop paying God, Kyle. Let's let's, let's go ahead and stop just, this right if, now. We're, if not, you we're could, not taking. We're not doing face off here. We're not doing it. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> so. Anthony Simons, Portland drafts Anthony Simons 24th in the 2018 uh, NBA draft. Uh, Neil O'Shea, who was recently, I know Portland Trailblazers fans uh, have had disdain for him recently, but I think this is interesting that Neil O'Shea had some foresight, I think, whenever he made this pick back in 2014 when things were going pretty well for Portland at the time. Well, it was 2018, not 2014. Well, uh, sorry, yeah, miss, misspoke there. But at the time, he had some foresight. This is what he said about Anthony Simons right after that draft, uh, talking about their their thinking in making that pick. Uh, fire that clip, Steve. Um, you know, some risk in that, you know, it's not a guy with a big body of work because he didn't play at the college level, but that's our job. Our job's not to play it safe. 
or jobs to go get the guy that has the talent that if he pans out, you're not going to get as a free agent and nobody's going to trade him to you. So what do, you, what do you think about, you made a point about like Neil O'Shea scouting Anthony Simons. What do you think he saw and what do you think he got right when he made that pick back in 2018, Charks? Okay, we're going to Neil O'Shea talk. Um, first off, the one thing that doesn't come across on the, that audio clip is when you send me that clip, because I never watched these press conferences really. I was like, Neil O'Shea is a handsome man. Like that is a man. <laughs> That's I can your see why away. he's so confident in his draft picks. Because if I look that good, I would believe in myself and my scouting eye. So just to say that off there's, the top. Well, there, there, there's a definite like correlation, yeah, between if, if you go through life that good looking, you just, you're confident. You, he's a why leader of men, right? Why wouldn't right? you be, right? Like, I well, look You great. automatically on the days when you walk into the office and they're like, I'm going to fire that son of a bitch today. And then he walks in and you see him and he's just like, damn it, he's handsome. All right, yeah. hang around yeah, for another me, day. Me and Kyle, we got faces for podcasts. So we, appreciate, <laughs> uh, we appreciate a good looking man like Neil O'Shea. Okay, yeah, you got to so, learn to talk for sure. No, a couple, it, a couple things. Um, I think we'll get into this later. But one, there is this sentiment you'll see sometimes in draft coverage. You'll see sometimes from NBA front offices about how the draft is a crapshoot, and that is true to some extent. But I don't really believe that. I think if you look at it, there are some front offices who've proven that they can find talent in interesting places. There is something to front office being able, and there's not many of them, but I would say the Olshay Blazers front office, they were not perfect. And a lot of times being able to draft well doesn't mean you can sign free agents well or make trades well or value your own players well. It's kind of one piece of a much bigger puzzle. But that 2018 draft, the Blazers took Anthony Simons at 24, Gary Trent Jr. at 37. Those were both fantastic picks looking back on it. And there's something there. And I think with Simons, I guess let's give the background real quick. So 2018, Anthony Simons, I think, will become an important player, not just for his game, because he's very talented, but for what he represents about where the draft is going. So Anthony Simons didn't go play college basketball. He spent one year at IMG at a prep school. He like was a signed, year. Yeah, yeah post, post high school. He was signed to Louisville. So instead of being one and done at a college, he was one and done at a prep school. He declares for the draft. No one really knows much about him at 20, in 2018. Like, I certainly didn't watch any film with him at IMG. I had no idea who he was. And I think a lot of NBA teams might have seen film, but they didn't really know how to value it, how to place it in context. And he was just kind of this guy, this 6'3 combo guard. And Olshay saw something, which we, we saw in that clip. And now it's starting to pay fruit four years later. So Anthony Simons, his first three years in Portland, he's mostly played off the ball, off Dame, off CJ, been a spot-up shooter. And it's been hard to tell how talented he is because he's a point guard who's never had the ball in his hands. Kind of, we talked about Tyrese Maxey last week where Maxey last year, you're like, well, how good is this guy really? We don't really know. Well, now with Anthony Simons this season... They traded C.J. McCollum. It seems largely to create cap space to give Simon's new contract at the end of the season. And then Dame went down with an injury. And since Dame went down with his uh, hip injury, at this point, it seems likely he'll be shut down for the season. Might as well. Yeah. Yeah, Go there's really it. no point in bringing Dame back at pull, this point. Pull the bottom out. So that was 22 games ago that Dame went down. In those 22 games since Simons has been the point guard, the primary of the offense, he's averaging 23 points a game, six assists. He's taking 10.5 threes and shooting them at 41% from three. So he's been an elite point guard. And in the last couple of games since the deadline, they whooped up on the Bucks on Monday night. They famously beat the Lakers right before the deadline, kind of like put the dagger in the coffin. They're not winning a ton, but they've been competitive with Anthony Simons as the guy, and he's looking really, really good. Yeah, uh, the thing that thing that's funny about it is the the theme of people not seeing him is continuing. I feel like a lot of NBA fans really don't know much about Anthony Simons, like because it's an interesting plight to put a young player in when, like, and talking going back to that clip of Olshay, he just had the foresight to think think about 
you know, this is a guy that we would not be able to get in any other situation. So he's thinking, and it's kind of similar, I think, to what the Spurs did with Primo, where they were thinking, we're going to, we, if this guy goes to college for another year, he's probably going to go higher in the draft. So we're just going to go ahead and take him now. The, you know, the order of the draft being a thing notwithstanding, but the rub on Simons, if you haven't seen him, like Chuck said, he's 6'4, big point guard, very like, very quick. I mean, he's got a six, I think a six eight or a six nine wingspan, really long arms, uh, forty inch vertical. Uh, coming out of high school, though, it's interesting. I was going to talk to you about. Oh, this. Kyle, did you remember he won the dunk contest last year? I'd forgotten about that. I'll be honest, man. I don't really watch the dunk contest anymore. Of I course, totally... of course, you don't. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, I just, I really just, I forget about it, honestly, sometimes. But it, it's interesting just to go back and look. He was number eight in that class of twenty eight, the high school class of twenty eighteen. Uh, but it's interesting just to see like physicality rated over ball skills in that class, like. Nasir Little, who I still think could do something. He's over been a Nas. good pick for them. He's had a good year before he got hurt. Yeah, Ashton Hagens was right. This hasn't become like the anti-Ashton Hagens podcast, but he was ranked ahead of Darius Garland, which is like, I I, I can't control my reaction to that. Uh, Romeo Langford was ranked ahead of Tyler Hero. I love that you're, go- you're going down these hobby holes. You and like 1% of our listeners know who Ashton Hagens is. So we're just well, going there. Well, I'm just saying it's, it's like an athletic guard. I think it just kind of shows you by it. Like Aaron Neesmith was like ranked in the 50s of that class. Uh, Simons was behind like Cam Reddish, Charles Bassey. Anyway, I was curious to think to ask you about this. Well, first, before I do that, I just kind of want to hit on it. Something, something that people should know about Simons is he's extremely quick as a dribble shooter. Like we're talking about Maxi is more of like a, comparing them. These are both scoring guards moving into playmaking roles, assuming more responsibility, growing to the shape of their tank, kind of the size and shape of their tank. Uh, he is extremely quick with it. I said he's like a, a pistol. He's super quick on his draw. Uh, in the NBA, uh, in terms of players, this is a if you're a shooter, you're going to end up in situations where people are coming over ball screens to run you off the line. So that ability to hit that dribble pull up three, something like Steph is a master at, Trey Dame is pretty freaking good at it too. Uh, he is fifth this season in threes made uh, and shooting a pretty good percentage. Um, assuming more pick and roll reps too. You were talking about um, this year. He's uh, over time, he's moved from off-ball to on-ball, so he was like in the 9% range. This year, like uh, over a fifth, over 20% of his reps have been uh, passing out of the pick-and-roll, so he's doing more of that. I was curious to, to ask you, though, if we're looking back at 2018 and we're thinking about if we did a redraft, if, we, if, we, if we're looking at who, who, how far up could he move where would you take Simons? How valuable is this real? Is this somebody that that is going to become like a star level player for sure going forward? Okay, I think there's a couple of things to unpack there. Yeah. And I like that you started it with his high school rankings. I think that is a good indicator. So like to me, I kind of put him in that Darius Garland bucket in terms of this is a guy whose game is based on his jump shot. And the power of his really elite jump shot opens up the rest of his game, right? I think there's some point guards who like to get to the rim who are super fast, and the defense wants to give them the shot. And then there's point guards who are such great shooters, the game opens up for them because the defense is pressing them all the time. Like you kind of said, Anthony Simons, this is a guy, I think, I believe in the jump shot at this point. It looks really, really good. He's six foot three, six foot four, money shooter. And I think you you watch him, and it's hard not to think about Dame, being that he wasn't poor in these last couple of years. Dame's game is based on his jumper, though they aren't quite the same player. There's a couple of key differences. I think the more important point is like for the you guys, you kind of said like he's not really well known yet in NBA circles because he spent the last few years in a small market, coming off the bench in a small role. But he's still only twenty. Is he twenty two? Yeah, I think he's twenty two. So I think it's like. I'm not sure how for sure good he's going to be or if this is for sure real, but I'm definitely open to the possibility that it is. And I think you have to open your mind to, like like you were saying about the draft, There, a guy with a limited track record, you're not really sure what you're getting, but you're opening up possibilities by doing so. Because he didn't go to college, you're drafting him in the 20s. And in your head as an NBA fan, oh, this guy's drafted in the 20s. I never heard of him. He didn't do much in his first few years in the league. You kind of naturally put a ceiling on how good he can be. There's no ceiling. 
with Anthony Simons. Like, I don't know how high the seal, the elevator is going to end up going, but it could go pretty freaking high. I think he's got all-star ability. Well, that's that's a big point you just said there. You think he has all-star ability. And I, th- I think that that's something that is a conversation. I think that that is a, a threshold that we're crossing. I think that's an interesting point. But go ahead. Go ahead with and I, I would say like in this stretch of like 22 games where he's running the show, what's impressed me the most, a couple of things have really impressed me. Number one, he's not crazy ball dominant. It isn't like he's like James Harden or something. He's such a good shooter. He threatens the defense without needing to hold the ball a ton just by standing out there and a little moving around. So he's letting other guys do stuff. He's not like monopolizing the ball, which I love in a point guard, as he can play on or off. That's one. Two, he plays really under control. Like he doesn't, it doesn't seem like a lot of times the game starts and he's just not really doing that much. He's just entering the offense, giving Nurk his touches, playing off Nurk. He's really let Josh Hart do a lot since the trade. So Josh Hart came over in the Pelicans trade for CJ. He's like, Hart, you can do your thing for a while. I know I can get my shot when I need it. So I'll just wait. Like, I'm not trying to force the action early. He's a very, like, deliberate, controlled player, which I also love in a guard, is that he's just under... this like, this a cliche. So there's a great show on um, our NFL draft show, the Fantasy Football Pod. It's great. Check it out. They do a bit where they're like, if it's just jargon, it's like a... So like he plays at his own pace. is like a jargon thing in NBA circles. Like thing everyone just kind of says doesn't really mean much. But what they mean by plays at his own pace is even like he played Drew Holiday last night. And Drew's probably the best, one of the best point guard defenders ever. And Drew loves to get in a guy, speed him up. S- speed and him like, up. Yeah, speed well, him up. And like now he's trying to make plays too fast, trying to get past Drew. He's speeding up his thought process. He's not making good reads anymore. So that's explained. To, well, I was going to say explained. Uh, we have varying degrees of basketball fans that listen to this. I mean, when we talk about what is the, you kind of were getting into it, but like, what's what is it when we say like, what's the opposite of playing with pace, and what's what comes with that? So what 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 are the positives of it? Because I think some people just don't know that. Okay, I, I guess the opposite that the- of that, like, not to beat on this guy now, is like Russell Westbrook. Like he, <laughs> you know, he's just going full speed. And then someone like Patrick Beverly, right, gets under his nerves. And now he's playing even faster. He's trying to prove a point, taking shots. He's like going 95 all the time. Whereas Simons is like, I'll just cruise at 45. You watch Simons, you forget he's been in a dunk contest a lot of times because he doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily show his athletic ability all the time. But he knows he has it when he needs it. And then the third thing is, and I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. That's what I'm just trying to figure out with Simons is he doesn't get to the rim very often yeah, and he doesn't get a lot that. of free throws. So his degree of difficulty on what he's doing is super, super high. And right now, he's been able to be very efficient without doing either of those things. I was looking it up. He shoots like 12% of his shots at the rim. And I was saying like, oh, he's like trying to play like Dame. Dame has always been a guy like shooting like 25%, 30% of his shots at the basket. Drawing and obviously, fouls and yeah, it's yeah. just easier that way. And he gets to the line a lot. So Simons don't get to the line a ton. You don't he don't get to the rim a ton, but he's still really efficient. He still shoots like 50% from two as the primary, which means he's just living on pull-up jumpers. It's a hard way to make a living, but he might be a good enough shooter to do it. Yeah, and he's built differently than Dame. You like to see things like we've talked about before, like ripple out from your easy offense. Like you, you know, if if things if one isn't going, you can definitely go and get your your easy offense at the rim. I don't know. I'm not totally sure about because usually that's kind of there when you don't usually start from not being somebody that goes to the rim and become someone. Usually it's like you get to the rim and then it, your game expands from there. I don't know. I don't know how confident I am. It, he's built. Like I said, he's built differently than Dame. He's a lot spindlier. Like he's a I was skinny just gonna guy. say I was gonna use that exact oh, nice word choice right there. Cause I had the thought in my head too. He's very long arms. Right? He's very Spindly. rubbery, uh, bendy, flex, like he's he's that type of athlete. And two, you know, we've said this like whenever you have that kind of separation ability. He has very, very strong separation ability for like a scoring point guard, and it's it's a it's a tenuous kind of tumultuous way to live. Like you were saying, uh, in terms of, I guess if that's going to continue, do you think he needs to become like an elite elite shooter, or is it? He, but he might already be an elite elite shooter. That's what I'm I mean, saying. He's very very good. Uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I even threw the stat in there. He can shoot well under tight, you know, in tight spaces and things like that. Has really good elevation on his shot. This Portland thing. 
Portland has a couple draft picks that could fall. As I, you know, Tankathon's the thing that everybody checks. I mean, it seems like right now those could fall anywhere from like the, I don't know, 7 to 12 range. They have a couple picks that could fall kind of close there. Um, what do you think that Portland is like a total blank slate? I was kind of just laughing about their rotation. I mean, good for them. It's it's These are fun times for Portland just because they're just like playing with house money with these weirdo like G League team. Their rotation is like CJ Ellaby, who kind of looks like a character from like a 90s sitcom, uh, Justice Winslow, Nurkic, Josh Hart. It seems like Simons likes to play with Josh Hart from the stuff that I've heard. And I heard, uh, actually, I was going to ask you about this. Marquise Johnson last night on the Bucks broadcast said he thought that that could be a better two-way backcourt and Dame CJ. We, I thought that was a pretty strong statement for, well, for early on. Is that a two-way backcourt? It's not two-way. Two-way. Well, yeah. Without backcourt. the offense. Right. Well, and it's like, of course, Simon. And here, not two-way contract. Two-way. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, of course, Simons likes to play with Hart because Hart guards the ball, right? So he don't have to do that. Like, Simons, I think maybe he has physical tools. The defense is not there yet. And I think that is the question for Portland going forward is we literally just did this. We just had Damon CJ forever. We just had two smaller guards who didn't play defense, could play on and off each other. Are we about to do that again and just put in, plug in Simons in the CJ spot? It seems like that's where this is headed. Yeah, it's Italy. I don't know, man. It, it makes you wonder, yeah, if they're going talking about doing it again, repeating history. Uh, you know, Nurkic is kind of the thing that's out there. I mean, the other thing is that's looming over this is like Dame. I don't, what's Dame's what's Dame's motivation to stay in this situation? Because he doesn't want to you want to be as bad as you can possibly be. I've heard some talk about like in the offseason. I mean, do you think that Dame has Dame is Dame going to play another game for Portland? I guess is the most extreme thing that you could ask. I don't know. I can't. I can't say that I have any real idea into his thought process. I'll say this, and this is just my personal. This is not like my personal opinion. Is once you draft a small guard, you're out of the small guard business. Like I, I, I respect what Dame and CJ did together in Portland's. I would never want to put a team together like that. I'm more like Chauncey Billups. I, Billups had some great quotes this year. I don't know if you've seen this, where they're they're asking him about the team. He's like, "Well, they don't really play defense. They're really small. Like, I don't know what you want me to do, basically." <laughs> where he was really small, but well, but it's like he's like, I, I love what Atlanta did. Like Atlanta said, we have Trey Young, and they did draft Sharif Cooper, but that doesn't really matter. Like, we're not going to draft any more smaller guards. We're going to put a bunch of size around Trey Young. Golden, Golden State, we had Steph. We're not drafting any more small guards. We're getting wings with size. It's the Iverson model, too. It's yeah. like if you have a guy like this, you have to put this type of player around. So go get, I'm looking yeah. at this like from Portland's perspective, purely objectively from a roster-building standpoint, I got Anthony Simons, who I believe could be an all-star point guard. I got two lottery picks in this draft. I don't know how many other long-term pieces. I like Nas Little. I like Josh Hart. Well, those are bigger wings, very physical, who can defend and shoot a little bit. I want to get more of those guys, and I want to get a front court player. All that to say, I don't know where Dame fits in a Simons world. I don't know if we're going to be in a Simons world. Maybe they're just going to end up running Dame and Simons out and run the show back, and that's fine. How much this is this will seem random, but how much Jalen Duran have you seen from Memphis? Enough. I mean, he's a good player. I don't I don't know that he's like changing my world or anything. I'd like to see him with Portland. I think that could be an interesting fit, especially if they keep Nurk. Of course, Nurk. I you know I don't know about that fit. I'd like to see. I wonder. I wonder about Nurk with like Boston, something like that, like a high post kind of guy to go with them screener. But I was anyway not getting. On I that. guess I would say Dur- this. Like we were, so we talked earlier in the pod about how I like the Murray Vassell backcourt. And I was yeah. thinking about it like Simons versus Murray, Simons and Hart, Simons and Little. Who would I rather have? I'd rather have the team with the better front court. That's what I'd rather have. This is a draft with a lot of really high level front court players. And what I really love about Simons and what I think the Dame era never had is you got to pair your guard, especially a guard who shoots this many threes. That's the perfect fit with the star front court player. Because they're in different parts of the court, right? Like, 
I would have loved to have seen Dame with an all-star four-man who can get to the rim, who can play out of the post, play out of the pick and roll, and Dame can play off him. I think Simons has that already. He's kind of had to learn how to play off the ball in his first couple of years in Portland. If I was Portland, I'd be like, man, if you could get Simons with, you know, now this will be being a dead horse like with Chet. Now we're really cooking with something. Now we've got an all-star up front, all-star on the perimeter. I think if you don't have that big, that's that's four man who can really create, there's always going to be a ceiling as your point guard based team, in my opinion. Uh, good points about team building, roster building here. Um, I, Portland, you know, wor- worst half court defense in the league right now. They are kind of a blank slate. It's it's not a time to sort of like dig deep and like over. You're just kind of trying to see what your assets are, what they're worth, who's going to be staying, hanging around, things like that. Because, uh, like I said, also they Ben McLemore is playing a lot. Trenton Watford, who I actually thought would do more in the NBA. But well, I'll, uh, did, I'll say do you want to add one more thing on there? Yeah, go ahead. With Portland, and sometimes it's really easy for us to get into this idea. Oh well, they're done with the season. No reason to watch them. This team is boring, and like that's usually true. But for the guys in Portland, they're not done with the season. Anthony Simons, Josh Hart, they're super excited. They're ready to play every night. They're like, it's my time to show what I can do. We're going to go for that 10 seed. We're not trying to, we're not worrying about the draft right now. I'm about to show out. I'm about to show you what I can do. I've been waiting three years. Milwaukee found out last night, like Milwaukee got their butt kicked. Like they didn't come out thinking, oh, is Portland a bunch of randos? LA a couple nights ago before that, the Knicks. They're thinking, oh, Dame's gone, CJ's gone. This is going to be an easy game. Like, no, these young guys trying to play. They don't care. Talented, too. Right now, they're in 10th place, which is pretty funny. So if they're going to want to... I could see some of these other tanking teams. Like, you got to start tanking, bro. You got to get... If you're going to get down here in the bottom of the league. Um, Yeah, Portland... Oh, uh, it's I'm I'm excited to see where this is going to go for them because they've kind of been hovering in that in that pretty good, but not quite with the the elite teams. Like they kind of had the misfortune of being in the same frame as as some pretty special Golden State teams. You know, not that they would have won anyway. But um, anyway, okay, I think my favorite. I think what I'll remember about that Portland team more than anything else is Kevin Durant going on CJ's pod. Do you remember this? <laughs> wasn't it during the well? It was during it was the playoffs. Af- I think wasn't it was it? after or something. And Durant's, Durant's just like, ah, don't even worry about it, man. It's all good. Don't worry about things in the top of the league. <laughs> oh, didn't Durant also say, like, he was like, you seriously thought you guys were going to win? Like, he was like, you really thought that? Durant is a savage, man. He, <laughs> it was cold. a really savage podcast, that's for sure. He, he is cold-blooded. Well, you know, Jonathan Sharks is a savage writer with the, with the pen. John, what do you got coming up? You got any uh, got any pieces coming up that we can feast on? Uh, actually, uh, I don't know how much, like with my medical stuff, I guess I'm not sure how much I'll be writing. I'm going to try to get some stuff in, but I just don't know right now what that's going to look like. How about you? What are you working on video wise? Uh, I still, still working on a couple big projects. So I, I know like huge, I'm not going to tease it. Like it's, I do have a rookie notebook coming out this week. So we'll, we'll, we have that, but the video stuff is a little Okay. So who's in this rookie notebook? So we'll probably talk about on the pod next week. Who do you, who who you focusing on? Little Cade Cunningham, little Jalen Suggs, Kuminga, some Duarte, some Herb Jones. You know, we we oh, bounce we're going around. Deep. I love it. We're going we pepper. Deep. We're passing. We're getting a lot of a lot of touches here. So, uh, but thanks for joining us. This is Upside High. Is the name of the show. Subscribe to us. Check out all the other Ringer NBA shows. We have a ton of them. They're all good. A lot of a lot of talent. A lot of good stuff to talk about. And uh, uh, yeah, it's good to hear you. And uh, join us next week, Sharks. It was good to see you, buddy. As always, it's fun stuff. Yeah.